guys, I'm really excited about this. Let me just throw this out there. I thought um, as I planned this series and kind of was doing the the study and and like diving in the Bible, I was like, this is going to be really good because I know this story like at the depths of my soul and and I've I've kind of, I feel like I've lived it at times. Um, Cassie, could you turn me down just a little, a little bit? Um, So I I feel like, you know, there's, there's this perfect, thank you. Uh, I feel like there's this point where um, if, if you've ever been through trials as a Christian, you know a little bit about what this guy's going through. And, and I say a little bit on purpose because he's going through a whole lot. And so you've got this, uh, got this guy, Joseph, that, um, you know, he's already been sold into slavery, but only after he was dropped in a well by his brothers, right? And, and the reason they sold him into slavery was they're like, well, let's not leave him here to die. Let's sell him into slavery. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood, and it's like, dang, these guys are hardcore, right? Like, when these guys got in fights, um, like, how many of you, just show of hands, have brothers? I think we asked that last week, yeah? So you know a little bit about what that's like, and I don't mean sisters, because y'all fight different, like, you pull hair, and y'all girls are all bowing up. I'd like to see you try to fight like a boy. Come on. No, I wouldn't. That's terrible. Terrible way to start. Terrible way to start. So you've got, you've got this character named Joseph who is experiencing this terrible, terrible reality. And maybe what's the worst part about it, if you're just being honest, is like, God just told me that, that like my brother's going to bow down to me. And, and it didn't work because they dropped me in a pit, right? There's 11 of them and there's one of me. And, and I can't get out on my own. They're like, well, let's get them out and sell them to slavery and make some money off them. You know, and so this is the first step in, in Joseph's path to greatness as far as God is concerned. And you're like, what? And so that's kind of where we ended last week. And, uh, and listen, just even before that ever starts, you're thinking, if this guy is going to be great, like, surely, like, he's, he's rich, right? He's, he's got things going, thing, going for him. His family life, we talked about three things just to kind of give you a recap if you weren't here. Um, first of all, he's 17 years old in a broken home. Right, so he's got, he's got, you know, uh, half brothers and half sisters, you know, stepbrothers, you know, whatever. And, and there's, there's, there's mom, there's stepmom, there's a couple concubines on the side. Just, you know, if he's feeling froggy, I guess. Um, there's just all this kind of stuff. There's, there's, there's dysfunction. And if I were to ask you to raise your hand, if you're in a dysfunctional family, which I'm not, a lot of hands would go up. You know what that's like. And so, what's interesting about this story is that. Not only is this just a story in the Bible that we should learn something from, but truly, um, I believe some of you know a little bit about what this kid's life is like. Now, I don't know if anyone could say that you were the second one because Jacob, J- Joseph's dad, basically said, Joseph's my favorite. And he made no like lies about it. He wasn't trying to hide it. He gave him this big, elaborate, expensive coat and gave it to no one else but Joseph. And so um, it's almost like a practical joke if you're listening because Joseph said, or Jacob says to Joseph, why don't you go check on your brothers? They're out there farming and like pasturing. Go ahead and wear that coat that I gave you. And they hate you. Like, what's going to happen? Obviously, like, they're going to tear the robe up. They're going to, they're, all this stuff happens. And so it's a terrible situation for Joseph. And it doesn't make it any better that when God gives him these two dreams that, that his brothers and that the sun and the moon and the stars are going to worship him or bow down to him, 
was like, hey, guys, guess what? You guys are going to serve me. You're going to worship me. Pretty cool, right? I mean, I thought so. And, and so what do you do when your brother does that? You throw him in a dadgum pit. Like, I'm not saying it's right, but it is totally understandable. <laughs> you guys are perfect, apparently. So, you know, you would never do that to your brothers. And so you've got Joseph. We leave him last week. He's just been sold into slavery. And then you jump into verse 1 of chapter, I think it's 39. And it says, he was sold by that person to Potiphar. And that is, in the world of being a slave, um, a promotion. Because Potiphar is pretty high up on the chain. Potiphar is the, uh, the captain of the guard for Pharaoh. And so if you have your Bibles and you want to turn to Genesis 39, that's where we're going to be. If you don't have your Bibles, the scripture is going to be on the screen for you. Um, there's a lot of it tonight because we're going to try to cover two chapters worth of material. And so we're going to bounce around a little bit. So, but the verses should be on the screen there for you. And you guys will be able to kind of track um, if you're in your Bible or taking notes or highlighting or anything like that. So we start in Genesis 39. Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. That's very important that you pay attention to that. And he became a successful man. In slavery, he was successful. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. This is actually a smart a smart slave owner because what he's doing at this point is paying attention to the fact that God likes Joseph. Like God is on Joseph's team and, and Joseph is on God's team and they, they work together, if you will. So verse four, it kind of goes forward and it says this. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. So, so Potiphar has just immediately given him this huge promotion um, to basically be his personal assistant. Like everything that I have um, except for my wife, which we'll talk about that in just a second. You're in charge of. From that time uh, that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. That's interesting, right? Because, because Joseph was there, he blessed Potiphar, right, who's basically a pagan, right, from a pagan land. Who, they do not worship God, um, at least not Potiphar. And so God sees fit to bless Potiphar's house because Joseph is there. And I, I found an interesting parallel, kind of a, a contrast, actually, if you will. Um, you guys, have you guys ever heard the story of Jonah, Jonah and the whale? I mean, if you grew up in church, you have, right? There's this whale, it's just, it swallows this thing up, and it's kind of like this Nemo moment where you're like in the belly of the whale, and you're like, what am I going to do? And hold on, and Dory says, let go. And he's like, he wants to eat us. And I'm preaching Finding Nemo right now. I don't know how that just happened. But all, before all that happened, he jumps on this ship trying to run from God, right? And all of a sudden, this storm comes on, and, and the, everyone on the ship at this point believes that, like, God or the gods are mad at them, or, like, something is wrong. And so they're running around on ship trying to figure out, like, what is going wrong? And they find Jonah, and he's like, yeah, it's my fault. It's my fault. And, and this storm is going to go away as soon as I jump off the boat. So they're like, what do you think you should do? He's like... I'm going to jump off the boat. It's like, all right, man, well, you know, more power to you. And then they kick, you know, they kick him off is what I'm thinking. Because they are like about to die if this kid doesn't get off the boat. So he jumps off the boat, the storm stills, and they're all good. But think about it this way. He was on the boat 
And it was bad that he was on the boat for their sake. In this case, Joseph was in Potiphar's house, and it was good for Potiphar that he was there. There is something in Scripture about someone who's faithful to God affecting the people around them. There are churches, I believe, that have um, people on their staff maybe or, or, or pastors or, or groups that, that maybe hold that church back even um, because maybe there's, there's gross sin in their life or something like that. Same, same, same thing. And that's, that's just kind of off topic, but I thought it was interesting to hit on that because Joseph was there, he blessed the Egyptian's house. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and in field. Okay, so verse 6. This is interesting. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything of the food he ate. Now, Joseph was handsome. It's like, boom! Like, let's just go ahead and talk about how good-looking he is, which is kind of weird and kind of random. And it's only random if you don't know what's next. Okay, so if you've heard the story, you know it's about to get like some moment. And so verse 7, verse 7, you got, after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph, right? Because she's like, he looked good. And Joseph said, lie with me. I'm sorry, Joseph didn't say that. She said, lie with me. That would be a completely different story and not in the Bible. Um, she said, lie with me. Like, you use your imagination. But he refused and said to his master's wife, don't use your imagination. <laughs> Not until you're married. Uh, because of me, my master has no concern about any, anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. This is him saying, back off. Okay, so verse 9. How, I'm sorry, uh, he is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness, wickedness and sin against God? What's interesting is that first he says, like, your husband has put me here to do this, okay? So in essence, he's saying, I'm not going to sin against your husband. And secondly, he says, how can I sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, so this was not a one-day thing. This was kind of like this, like, he's waking up and going to bed every morning with this tension of having this woman who's basically after him, okay? So she spoke to Joseph day after day. He would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. Verse 11, here's where it gets kind of interesting. One day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, um, that's like a lot of houses, um, caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. Here's what happened. I truly think, and this doesn't explicitly say this in the story, but I would guess that she set it up that way that she sent out all the workers, like, you go mow the lawn, and you go feed the pigs, and I don't know if that's what they did, but, you know, like, send everybody out, and she had a plan. She had been turned down a couple times at this point, and so I imagine the most powerful woman in this house, and, and, and probably the second most powerful woman in the country at this point is used to getting what she wants, and when he turns her down, it gets ugly. So she has kind of a plan A, plan B thing. Like plan A, if he gives in, we're good because I got what I want. Um, plan B is I have, I have an idea. So she catches him by his garment and then says, lie with me. And then when he leaves, he, he leaves his clothes. And so the scholars would say that he is buck naked at this point running out of the house. It is that important. 
And listen, there is, there is scriptural backing to that. Um, all the way in the New Testament, and this hadn't been written in this point, you know, the New Testament, it was, that was a couple thousand years this way, but, um, you know, Paul would say to Timothy, flee youthful lust. That's a verse, right? Flee youthful lust. Um, and so flee meaning run quickly. Don't walk. Don't be like, oh, I'm kind of thinking about it. No, you sprint like you're doing a 40-yard dash, like get out of there. Um, and then Jesus even would say in the, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, if your right eye offends you, right, dig that sucker out of there and just cast it. And I don't think he's being literal, so some of you guys are like, that's my problem. <laughs> Mom, rusty spoon, where is it? And just get to work. If you do do that, go ahead and video it and put it on YouTube, and you'll go viral in seconds, I'm sure. Don't. Do not. So, so he's got this idea. And, and this word cast, by the way, is like throw like a football. Get this thing out away from you. So Joseph has this thing down. Like he's, he's fleeing. He's running away. The only problem is he has nothing, okay? And she has the robe to prove it, okay? So he is, he is down to nothing. And uh, next verse, verse 13. As soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he's brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. This is interesting what she appeals to real quick. Um, he came into me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. So first of all, she's lying. But second of all, she is appealing to their pride, right? Because this is not an Egyptian boy. First of all, he's a slave. Second of all, he's a Hebrew. Okay, so this is, a, this is kind of a a nationalism thing, it maybe even to some degree is a racism thing, um, but you've got this idea. He has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us, and who likes to be laughed at? Nobody. And when you start a fight, like when you, when you whisper in someone's ear, isn't that one of the things that like, do you know that she's making fun of you to other people, and your like, blood starts to boil, and it's not supposed to because you're a Christian, and you're perfect, and all this kind of stuff, but maybe in your past, in your, in your colorful past that didn't include Jesus, your blood started to boil. I'm joking. I'm just saying, like, people can get under your skin quickly when it's all about, like, did you hear what they said about you? Did you hear what they said about your mom? Oh, see, I hit a nerve there. Now I'm talking to the right crowd. Okay. So I cried out with a loud voice. Genesis 39, verse 15 as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. So there is a naked man running around our land somewhere. Here's what she's saying. She laid up his garment by her until his master came home. This is where it gets real bad. She told him the same story, saying, the Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to laugh at me. Verse 18. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard this... Um, Anger, just anger and frustration. And because and, why would his wife lie to him? And, and, and why would my slave do this? And why would, why would the God-fearing man do this? And, and, and it just kind of speaks to how, how um, like, wrongly passionate men are sometimes. Like, we just get angry. And we just let that thing take over. And we're like, I don't even care if it's right. I'm mad. Like, and so he's going to go after him. His anger was kindled. Verse 20. He finds him pretty quickly. Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, um, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. So my guess is it's not that bad of a prison uh, because these are like special prisoners. These are like the slaves who go to jail in the castle or in the whatever you call it, the, the palace. 
But the Lord was with Joseph. He showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Okay, so let's just pause for a second and just like, what the heck? God, I thought that people were supposed to bow down to me. Right? I did not come on to this woman, right? I tried to leave. I know it's not a good thing to be buck naked in public, but I fled. Like, I know I did what I was supposed to do. Like, at what point are people going to start bowing down to me? You know, and, and at this point, I think he's even, he's not even after people bowing down to him or serving him or worshiping him. I think he's just saying, did you cross signals somewhere? Like, did you talk to the wrong Joseph? Because this life stinks. And I don't know, like, what your plan is, but it doesn't seem like it's working, right? Because ask yourself this. If you had a dream where God basically says, I'm going to be with you, I'm going to take care of you, I'm going to use you, and like you're going to be great in the kingdom of God. And he may not say it in those kinds of words, and he gave Joseph a dream, so it wasn't like specific, but if you had a vision or a dream um, that God was going to use you, is your first thought, my life is going to be terrible? Or is your first thought, my life is going to be easy? Because the God of the universe, right, I know who goes before me, I know who stands behind the God of angel armies is always by my side. But I'm in jail, right? Potiphar's wife just came at me, and she lied, and they believed the lies. And so if you've ever been in a spot where you're like, I feel like I'm doing what God is supposed to, he's telling me to do. Like, I feel like I'm being obedient, but I'm not being rewarded for it. I think what God would say to all of us is just like, be patient. Your reward the, the people that get their immediate reward, at least as, as they are spoken about in Scripture, think about in Matthew, um, it's either 5 or 6, where Jesus speaks uh, about the idea that when you pray, you shouldn't go out in the street corners and like pray these elaborate prayers because most people that do that, and this is what Jesus is really talking about, is you're praying so people can be oppressed by how spiritual you are. Okay, so when it comes time to like do something in church, when it comes time to speak in school, like, about, about God, like, and God is giving you this weird platform to do that. Like, don't try to impress people. Just be a servant. Just be a servant. And so you've got this idea where, like, okay, well, I'll, I'll do what I do. And what he says to do is go pray, like, shut the door to your room, go to your prayer closet, or, like, your room, go somewhere private. Go to your place that you pray with God and pray to him. And the Father who sees in secret will reward you, okay? And even what he's saying here, guys, is that your reward is so much more than someone like, because your reward, you think of rewards as like someone gets this publisher's clearinghouse check for a, a million dollars, or someone won the lottery, or someone handed you the keys to a new BMW, or someone gave you like a new house, or someone gave you a bunch of money, and that's a reward, right? And you, you feel good about that. But spiritual kingdom rewards are so different. And Joseph's story teaches us that. And so let me beg of you real quick. And some of you are not going to take this seriously, but some of you will. If you obey God, it may not go easily for you in this life. There is no promise that you will be rich. There are a lot of people out there promising you that, by the way. And you have to discern those spirits by what the scripture says. Let me just be real clear. There are plenty of guys out there that will tell you, well, if you're following Jesus and God's going to bless you and you are going to be rich and you're going to, all this kind, that stuff, that teaching is out there.
But then you look at Joseph and you're like, that doesn't really make sense. Here's my invitation to you. Read the Bible and go by what it says because here's the deal. Your reward is a spiritual one and it comes from the God who owns everything. If someone were to hand you a million dollar check because you were obeying God, that would be a slap in the face versus what God could give you. You understand that? Because a million dollars is nothing to God, right? Spiritual rewards versus like a temporal million dollar, a million dollar check would feel really good, would it not? Like, I have no problems for a while. Like, I just, I, I pay people to park my car, and I pay people to, to feed me, and like, I, I'm rich, and I have no problems. And ask the rich people if they have problems. Bingo. A million dollar check, if that's what you really wanted, is nothing in comparison to what God can give you. And what's interesting is, is that in that passage in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is talking about pray, like don't stand up there and like act like you're trying to impress someone because here's what he said. They already have their reward. You know what that means? People being impressed by them, that's what they really wanted. That's the reward. And it ends there. There's no spiritual impact. There's no like kingdom dividends. There's no, there's no work being done. Like you're after praise on this earth. Guys, that, that is nothing to chase after. And you will probably have to learn this the hard way because we love being praised. We love temporal riches. Like we love things that make our lives comfortable. And all of those things are nothing in comparison to what God can offer you. And so this story of Joseph, you're kind of thinking like, okay, when is the good part to the story going to happen? Not yet. It's going to get worse. Okay, so let's do a quick recap real quick. First of all, <laughs> Joseph was abandoned by his family. He was sold into slavery. He was approached by Potiphar's wife. He did not approach her. And then he was thrown into prison. And this, guys, is what is making him great in the kingdom of God. Bless you. Now, this is how he responded. This is what makes all the difference. He responded in obedience. You have not heard him in the scriptures complain not once. Two, he's, he's doing it without grumbling or complaining. Three, he's not questioning God's motives. He's not questioning if God is powerful enough to do this. He is just doing what he is called to do and what he's been positioned to do. And last, with hard work. So if you're a slave and someone says, go do that work. Like, are you motivated at all to get done with it or to do it with excellence? Absolutely not. If you're getting a paycheck, are you, are you like, engaged to do it with excellence? Yeah. Why? What does that say about us? We're after these temporal rewards, right? A spiritual reward, the kingdom work that God calls you to and God is calling Joseph to in this moment is I have you here, right? And I'm using this. And the fact that Joseph is in the worst period of his life, and my guess, none of you have experienced anything like Joseph is going through right now. What room do we have to complain? Like, so you don't like your life. So you don't have that. Or so you don't look like that or have that car or have that amount of, of money coming in your family every month, so you don't live in that house. 
It's not even about that. Like where God has you is where God has you. And the faithful people of Scripture are the ones who do the hard work there and who are obedient there and who don't grumble and complain there. God has got a calling for each and every one of your lives that is unique. Like some of you come from broken families, like we said earlier. Some of you, you just struggle with that. God has you there. I'm not saying he loves it. I'm not saying he rejoices over the fact that you cry yourself to sleep sometimes. But he has you there. Are you obedient or are you grumbling? Some of you, you've got like this, this thing you don't like about yourself. It could be appearance. It could be, it could be a learning disability. It could be a disease. It could be uh, maybe an addiction that you may have even walked into on your own. But you just don't like it, right? You're struggling with it. You're yelling at God because of it. You're mad at God because of it. And there's a time to wrestle with God, and there's a, there's a time, guys, to be obedient. And that time to be obedient is really all the time, to do the hard work that God has got you to do. This is why you can't ignore school. Uh-oh. This is why you can't treat school like it's not a big deal. This is why you can't treat your parents like they're idiots. Because one, they're not. And two, they don't deserve it. And three, you are commanded in Scripture to honor and obey them in the Lord. So how do you treat your parents? What, like, as far as Joseph's life, he's in prison. He's a slave. He, his reputation is in the trash can, right? Because he came on to Potiphar's wife. At least that's what everyone thinks. And you don't hear him complaining about it. There is, there is something to that. There's something to that. So that's, that's what's going on. Moving forward in Genesis 40, you have a whole new picture. And... Um, He's in prison, right? And God has positioned him. Um, and so he's in prison. And then there's these two guys, a cupbearer, which is the guy that tastes the king's wine so that he knows it's not poison. He's the one that makes sure the king doesn't die when he drinks his wine. And then there's the baker, okay? So there's the, basically the guys that are, like, cooking his food and testing his wine. They do something to get in trouble, and they get thrown into prison. And, and, and the, the captain of the guard at this point is like, put him with Joseph. And I don't think he knew what he was doing. I think that probably had more to do with God, making sure they were in the same cell. But here's what happened. Starting in verse, uh, chapter 40, verse 1, some time after this, which we don't know how long. Okay, so by the way, Joseph is just in prison, right? And so, so all of you, if you've ever had a, a waiting period or it's like, like you don't like about what's going on in your life, you're, you're struggling to be content, um, waiting is tough, is it not? waiting for that thing that we're promised, waiting for that thing that we're expecting or hoping for. And like, just think about this, waiting for the day to get out of prison, right? It's kind of like, um, it's, the reason, it's the reason you take your MP3 player on a long road trip, right? Because it passes the time quicker, doesn't it? It's the reason that you, you take movies and books and all that kind of stuff to, to pass the time. In prison, you're just sitting there like counting the minutes and counting the seconds, just like, Sometime after this. Don't pass after that like it's, like it's not a big deal. He's in prison, and he's been there for a long time. Probably, at this point, my guess, into his 20s. Okay, so a couple years have gone by since he was sold into slavery originally. The cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. When you see lord there, pay attention. It's lowercase l, not God. He's talking about Pharaoh. 
So Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief, chief cupbearer and chief baker, and he put them in the custody of the house of the captain of the guard, Potiphar, in the prison where Joseph was confined. Uh, the captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. I wish we knew how long, you know, because at that point you'd be like, like three years? Because you're thinking sometime, that could be a week, that could be a month, that could be a year. Okay, so next verse, verse 5. Um, okay, so here's, that's right, I'm, I'm kind of skipping along here. Um, the cupbearer has a dream, and the baker has a dream. And this is where um, Joseph goes from having dreams to interpreting them. And so the tide kind of shifts a little bit. They both wake up, and they're, like, nervous, and they're worried, and they're upset. And Joseph wakes up, and he sees him. He's like, what's up? And like, we both had dreams, and we're freaked out. We think they know something, they mean something, but we don't know what they mean. And he's like, well, basically he says, dreams are for the Lord to interpret, so ask me, because I'm kind of tight with them. So he starts interpreting. Here's the cupbearer's dream. In my dream, there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Now, before we move forward, here's the interesting thing. There, is, um, there are lots of illustrations in the Bible about a wine press or like wine uh, grapes being pressed. And, and a lot of times that is um, to signify wrath and judgment. And so no wonder he's worried, right? And at this period, dreams are supposed to do that. Like in this society, like that's normal. And especially for kings, um, especially for people in this high of a context. And so he hears wine, he hears pressing, and he's like, uh-oh, I'm about to die. So Joseph pops in and says, well, here's the interpretation. Verse 12, um, he moves forward and he says, Then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head, um, which lift up your head in this case means like he's going to hear your case. Like he's going to raise you up. He's going to hear you again. Lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. You're going to get your job back. Okay, so awesome. Verse 14 Kind of moves forward. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. Put in a good word, because I'm still in prison, even though you're going to get out. And so get me out of this house, for I was indeed stolen out of the land of Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Again, no telling how long he's been there, but he's like, you just put in a good word. I've been here for a while. I don't deserve to be here. I did nothing wrong. And they're probably thinking, yeah, right, you did nothing wrong. You tried to sleep with, you know, Potiphar's wife. Um, so he's like, put in a good word for me. And so the baker then tells him his dream. This next, next slide. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. So he's like, oh, cool, you know, good dreams. Uh, there were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And it's like, well, that's kind of weird, you know. So verse 18, here's the interpretation. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. And so he's like, oh, okay, cool. I'm going to get my job back. The three, in three days, Pharaoh's going to lift your head from you. A little different. And hang you on a tree, and the birds are going to eat your flesh. <laughs> is that not the biggest downer moment you've ever heard of? It's like when he heard the dream was favorable, he's like, oh, great. The birds are going to eat your flesh. And so verse 20, like there's no description of what he said. 
On the third day, which is Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all the servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, just as the dream was interpreted. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer didn't remember. He forgot Joseph. And then I just got to show you this. The next verse, which is actually 41, verse 1. After two whole years, this is where we do have the timeline, okay? So he forgot, right? Joseph did this guy a huge favor, saved his life, interpreted the dreams, brought peace to his heart, and said, just do me one thing, just put in a good word for me. After two whole years, and that's where we'll pick it up next week. But think about it this way. Two years Two years in prison. Two years. And you're thinking like, golly, that's like a tenth of my life. Not even. Like, that's a long time. Two years. And God has him there. And he's building Joseph into the man that he is to be. I wrote down four things that we can learn from this story. Um, and it's not over yet. We're going we're gonna to move forward with it next week. But there's just four things I want you to kind of catch, um, if, if nothing else. The first thing is that God's timing is perfect. God's timing is absolutely perfect. So two years in prison. Listen, let me just throw this out there. This is the big struggle I have with this packet, pa- pa- passage. Excuse me. I, and I was talking with Jared a little bit about this today. I was talking with some other friends. And, like, here's what I don't know what to do. Like, is this just happening because, like, the devil has power on the earth as well as God? And, like, like bad things happen because this is a broken world? Or is this, like, God's plan that he's in jail? And you know what? I have reasons to think that, he's, that God is planning this and, and that he's causing it to happen. And I have reasons to think that maybe it happened and God doesn't love it, but he's going to use it. He's going to redeem it. You know what the word redeem means? He's going to take something bad and he's going to make it good because God can do that. In fact, when people become Christians, when they accept Christ and when they surrender their life to him, it says that you're a new creation, like a brand new person. But here's, here's all I know. Whether, whether God caused this or whether he's redeeming it, God's timing is perfect. Here's what I do know. If God didn't cause it, he has the power to get Joseph out of jail. That's just my guess, okay? He can, and he's choosing not to. You know why? Because he's got a plan for Joseph, and he's building his character. And so some of you are going to go through tough times. You're going to have things happen to you that you didn't ask for, right? It's not like a, well, I didn't study for my test, so I got an F. That's your fault, and you deserve the F. I'm sorry. But sometimes, you know, like, you know, the doctor's going to look at you and he's going to say, I'm sorry, nothing you could have done. It's kind of that moment where, like, someone lives their life eating everything healthy, always exercising, and they still get sick. And there's nothing that we can do. But you know what? God's timing is perfect. And he is paying attention to the cries of his people. The second thing that I'm learning is that God's presence is enough. So even if you're in prison... Joseph, or even if you're struggling through a tough season, 
God's presence is enough. When you go through tough times, God doesn't promise that he's just going to rescue you out of that tough time. God doesn't promise a perfect or easy life. Surely we've covered that by now. He promises that he'll be with you and that he'll never forsake you. Guys, that is what you want. You don't want him to rescue you out of everything because if that's the case, you'll never be the person that he wants you to be. And listen, becoming the person that he wants you to be is the most important pursuit of your life. The most. So all those things that you're not willing to give up, I challenge you to give them up for God. All those things that God is calling you to do that you're not willing to do because, like, I don't want to. I challenge you to embrace it. All those, like, times in Scripture where God says, listen, I'm just saying, this is my way, so, so don't, don't do that that way. Like, and listen, our society is telling you, you can have it your way, okay? The Bible is an outdated document. You can have it your way. I spent some time actually studying... Um, studying um, one of Macklemore's songs, Same Love. And, and, and some of you have heard it, and some of you haven't. And we're not going to just, <laughs> I just heard the word gay in the audience. That's awesome. Um, it's a song about how, you know what? I don't care what you believe, but we all come from the same God. You know what? He loves us. And so just do what you want to do. Do what you got to do. Here's what I would have to say to that. God has a standard. God has a standard. And listen, I'm about to say something that you guys aren't like. Like some of you guys are going to be so angry at me. You're going to be tempted to tweet me and be like, you're wrong and you're judgmental. And you know what? God has a plan for our life. It's the way he says is the best way. His way is the best way. Not ours. We think we do. And you know what? You're not God. And I'm not God. And you know what? Sometimes I think I know which way my life should go. And God knows better. And sometimes people go to prison, right, for something they didn't do. And I don't know what to do with that, but God's going to use it. God will never, ever waste a hurt in your life, ever. His presence is enough. His comfort, his spirit is enough. Three, God is using the events in your life to mold you. You're not going to like it, right? Because it's the stuff, it's like the chiseling, right? It's like an artist that, that's creating a masterpiece. And if it's a piece of rock, you have to take a hard piece of metal to scrape that stuff away. And that is painful. But it's a masterpiece at the end. And God is not done with you. And he is forming you. The Bible says that he is the author and the finisher or the perfecter of your faith. He is working on you. You're his workmanship if you are a Christian. And so to, to throw up the stiff arm on him and to say, no, I don't want that. I want, I want the life I want is the wrong path. And again, you haven't seen Joseph do that, not once. The last thing is that God, God's promises are trustworthy. Those promises are what you should be hanging on to. You should be searching for them in Scripture, and you should be writing them down on three-by-five cards and waking up and reading them. You should keep them in all of the different places. You should put them in your locker. You should put them in your car. You should put them in your bathroom or in your bedroom. You should put them all over the place. Put them in your textbooks, because here's the deal. 
God's promises are trustworthy, and you can bank on those. And right now, Joseph is in prison for another two years because he forgot, like the cupbearer forgot. He forgot, like he was in prison for two years because it slipped this other guy's mind to mention him. And you know what? Joseph is in prison. He's saying, God, you got it. You say that you'll deliver me. You gave me this dream, and whatever it means, I can see now that it doesn't mean it's about me. This is what's happening in Joseph's life. God is beating out of Joseph the idea that it's about Joseph. That sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? And you're like, "Ah, I don't really want that. I just kind of want to live an easy life. I don't really want to be called by God to do anything. Well, it's not your choice. And by the way, the people that I talk to that are adults now that at one point said, I'll never blank, like got called to that. (laughs) I'll never go into ministry. Say it. I dare you. I, I dare you to pray that. I'm never going to, I will never be a missionary. I will never serve in the church. I dare you. Because God's like, I've got a plan, and it's going to happen. Whether or not Joseph, okay, so rewind all the way back to the beginning. God gives him a dream, right? This is something jo, uh, Jared and I were talking about today is like, maybe, maybe God's original plan was not for Joseph to walk in and be like, hey, guess what? You guys are going to worship me. And that was like the start of this path. Like, okay, well, you're going to be thrown in a pit now because you're a moron. You did it, right? Like you chose that path. Maybe his path was just to quietly and humbly accept God's plan. But no, like it sounded good to him and he started bragging (laughs) and started arrogantly and quite naively like telling his brothers who hated him that they were going to worship him. And I'm sure at that point they were like, well, God's on my side. The God of angel armies, like he's going to call angels down. He's going to kill my brothers. It's going to be awesome. Nope, you're going to get thrown in a pit. Who knows? Whether or not God had, 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 had this thing, like, okay, you know, it's going to happen. It's going to happen either way. You know what? Here's, here's what I'm learning. Here's what I'm learning. Because you know what? When I still learn things in Scripture. Like, when you read Scripture, you should learn something. Here's what I'm learning. God's plan is going to happen. It's going to happen. Now, we, we may kind of dodge it. We may kind of, like, stiff arm, and we may kind of, like, cry about it. God's plan is going to happen. What he wants to happen is going to happen. And it may be painful, guys, but it's worth it because what God wants should be the most important pursuit of your entire life. Why don't you bow your heads for just a second? We're just going to kind of have a time response, and you're just going to sit and think about what, what the scriptures are saying. And, uh, and some of you, you know you're running from something. I would, I would wager to bet some of you are in here running from God's call in your life. Some of you, you've been in church for a long time. You've been following Christ for a long time. And you know that God has a plan for you greater than just to come to church. Like you're supposed to be the church. You're supposed to serve. You're supposed to lead. Maybe God is calling you to go to a different people group. Maybe God is calling you um, to, to embrace like being in ministry vocationally, like with your job. Maybe God is just calling you to lay down those things in your life that are lowercase g gods to you, like idols. I don't know where you're at, but just in this moment, we don't have a whole lot of time, but I just want to give you some time to just reflect. I'm going to pray for you in just a second, but, but if, if you're running from God tonight, I beg of you to stop 
and embrace what he has for you. I can only tell you that he will provide, he will take care of you, and his way is best. It won't look like success in America in 2013. It won't look like what's popular in America in 2013. It won't look like what's normal, and it won't look like what's accepted. You won't, by the way, be popular in your opinions. But God will be with you, just like he was with Joseph. And that's enough. So wherever you're at, I'm going to pray for you. And, uh, and I would just challenge you maybe to, to step out. Um, why don't you guys stand up and I'll pray. And that way, if you want to step out and maybe pray up here at the altar for a second, you can do that. If you want to grab a, a counselor, there's some over here on the side. You want to talk to them? That works too. I'm going to pray for you guys. If you want to come up and pray, good. If you want to grab a counselor, go for it. Okay? Father, thank you. Um, you know, I say thank you, and I know that even, even reluctantly, like sometimes I want to dodge your plan because I know it's hard or it's difficult. It's not within my reach. I want to do something that I can see as doable or acceptable or, or, or fun or free or, or comfortable. I want to live my life sometimes in my own plan, and I know that goes against you. I know that goes against what you want from me, and I know you're calling me, and I know you're calling us to something greater than just living our own life. So God, I pray right now that there would be students all over this room that are letting go, that are, that are putting the walls down. And some of us, we just need to just pray this one prayer. God, what do you want me to do? Would you just help me to have the wisdom to do it and the strength and the courage? Lord, I pray that over students tonight. I pray that you would just give us all the strength and the courage and the wisdom to follow you in whatever area you want us to follow you. Or to the ends of the earth, to just be a, a missionary here in town, in our schools, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, on our teams, at work, in our families. And I pray that we would drop the walls and accept what you have for us. Lord, we love you. Lord, and we just want what you want. It's in your name I pray. Amen.